Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Podcast. Hello, good evening, and welcome to this week's Mall Over Podcast, the only rugby podcast gives you the news, views, and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast, Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook, and you can find all of our audio content on Anchor, as well as Apple Podcasts, the Google Store, and most other mediocre platforms. Uh, For the, well, I would say the third week in a row, or fourth week in a row, but it's not because we didn't do last week. We got a full house, so I'm joined by the houseboy's favourite. Welcome, Phil. Hey there, Russ. It's nice to hear you sounding a bit more chipper than last time. Well, you would think after the weekend that we just had that I, I would be, you know, close close to ending it all but i'm all right as it goes um because he's a uh, golf's coming back well that and lots of other things but yeah just get out of the house be nice uh you've heard the dulcet tones there of uh the nicest man in cornish rugby podcasting ben eustace hello uh and last but not least um everyone's favorite lensman um from china welcome doug Oh, I almost said something really close to the line there, but I just <laughs> reined myself in. So, yeah, um, I'm good. That was, oh, good. Oh, that Welcome was back. Was it? Wow. Did you have to bite your tongue casually yeah. then? Oh, I've got a little bit of a cold sweat. I'll be honest, I'm slightly put off by Doug's background on Skype, which is a picture of Russ. Circa, oh, is it still that? Circa 2013, I guess. Uh, probably. No, it's before that. It would be... That was actually on my honeymoon. Uh, for the For the listeners... It's a picture of me at Madden Two Swords. I think I've got my arm around a waxwork Tom Jones, or Tom Jones as he's more commonly known. And uh, yeah, I've got one of the most bulbous chins you've ever <laughs> I seen. Think you I think you should Which tweet one? it. I think, well, I'll tell you what, after this, I think we'll find a way to tweet the picture of that Doug has of me on this background. But my main chin, the focal point of my chin is extremely bulbous which is then surrounded by a number of other chins. Um, but, you know, it, it was like, it was the two, it was 2009. It was all the rage. Um, right. Let's, let's talk about some rugby, shall we? Uh, England traveled to Cardiff on, uh, on Saturday evening. Doug, you were there. Must've been oh, incredible. Just Watching being the there. old Northampton Hot Saints. <laughs> the Northampton Hot Saints? Yeah. I don't um, even know what that means, but okay. Well, they're the, the Northampton are without doubt the Tottenham Hotspur of football. 
Oh, I, I, I wasn't going. You were there yesterday, weren't you? I'm talking yeah. about Saturday. Oh, I wasn't listening. Sorry. Tottenham Hotspur, the Tottenham Hotspur of football. Yeah. Oh, I said of rugby. Anyway, this is anyway, going whatever. This is going well, isn't it? Doug isn't, joke, whatever Doug, happens. Doug isn't listening. Um, but you were, in fact, on Saturday at the Millennium Stadium. I was Not indeed, yeah. Um, um, just, I know what we said before the pod, but part of um, apparently a broadcast that the BBC should be ashamed of, so... Is that that I have seen tweets of that nature? There, there has been a, a lot of slamming of the BBC coverage in general. I think more due, down to the the analysis, the punditry, the interviews, and the likes in general, rather than the uh, exquisite camera work. Yeah, I mean, what most people don't know or understand is that there's only about forty or fifty rugby cameramen in the country so the good ones tend to be at the same events mm. Where was that on Saturday, then? Wales obviously <laughs> um, I mean they, they weren't they weren't because mo- most of us went from Sale to Cardiff to Northampton is that what, so, so here's the here's the thing and I don't obviously you may or may not answer this question then is that when they put stuff behind the red button and that on bt sport the stuff that clearly doesn't really matter um because there's no the games... premiership games that aren't covered by the bt pre- presentation crew yes i.e the ones i'm in charge of yes <laughs> well no and and, and that's that, that's what's leading me on to because i watched some of the bristol leicester game on on saturday um there was quite a lot of chatter about Max Laheef commenting commentating on Bristol mm-hmm. or was on Cocoms. I actually found it quite entertaining. Um but what I was what I was leading to was around the the production, you know, there would be le- there are obviously less cameras, there are less um there's or- two less cameras. Okay. No. Yeah, there's two less line cameras and then two less handheld cameras, so four overall. Fair enough. Um, um- but really, you only get you only lose coverage for you don't get a behind the sticks camera and you don't get a reverse touchline camera. That's the only difference. I mean, there was a behind the sticks. Was it a, a touch camera or behind the sticks camera that captured Christoph Ridley nearly getting wiped out? That was quite entertaining. <laughs> a hell of a recovery. Anyway, nobody really wants to listen to this today. They they actually are all here for us to listen to us talk. Wow, Ben. Ben's now. Ben's now changed his background to a picture of me holding a rugby ball with one of the biggest engines you've ever seen. Um, if by so, engine you mean guts, yes, that's exactly what that's exactly what I mean. Uh, but again, I'll probably tweet that one if you want to see it. But it seems that Doug and Ben like to just have me as their background, which is nice. Um, it's a bit like when let's um, go to Wales on when you see sort of Chinese government buildings and they've all got. A, picture of Mao <laughs> you've all got big pictures of me in the background yeah I am are you, what are you saying that I am Morlover's chairman Mao yeah or, or, you know Stalin I mean there's a podcast title <laughs> if you if you ever wanted one um random but hey ho anyway rugby anyway rugby <laughs> right let's let's start very much it, the Millennium Stadium, which I will continue to call it. Uh, 
it's hard to know where to begin apart from right at the start. Um, Phil, I know we're probably going to disagree about a, f- a few of these bits and pieces as we move through this, as you've already alluded to. I I just want to I want to start off with by saying that I am of the opinion, and I could be completely wrong, but teams are looking for excuses to penalise early in games, specifically Maru Itoji, because of comments previously made. I mean, and and every team does it, but no team has really talked about it about playing the ref early doors and seeing how much you can get away with on penalties before the ref pings you. So you know where that, that fine line is. I'll agree with you on that. I think that's very much what happens that England have done this for probably six or seven seasons where they go out of their way in the first 10 minutes to, to find out where, where the ref's going to draw that line. And the problem is, I think refs are now acute to it. And they know it's happening. They stamp down on it hard. Um, and equally, I think they are spending a lot of time looking at Mario Toje. And we'll probably end up spending quite a lot of time talking about Mario Toje. But he's got a reputation for somebody who, a bit like Richie McCaw used to, but Richie McCaw would always get away with it, would go one step beyond the line. And the refs are now watching it to the point where uh, they've almost skewed the line in their own eyes. Yeah, I think I think with Itoje in particular, there's probably two things in addition to that that come into play. One is something that um, someone said in our group chat earlier, um, that he's quite a smart player, so he's probably pushing the boundaries quite away, and trying to get away with things that are sort of borderline. And I think the other touches on what you said about Richie McCaw, I think if social media was like it is now I think McCaw would have got penalised off the pitch as well because when Atoje does something that's borderline there's immediately 12 gifts circling the internet of foul play and, and or not foul play but you know rule breaking and I, I think the refs are only human and a lot of them probably do see those and it probably just seeps in that oh, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that next time I think case in point was the the one where he um he got the ball off the scrum half yeah the, I, the deliberate knock on inverted commas n- no the one where he ripped it on the way down oh the the same one that the so that is a foul in though. the second half that was I, I thought as part of the tackle so they 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 were still they were still in the motion of the tackle so it it wasn't like they were both laying still on the floor and he hadn't released and ripped the ball. That would have been a non-releasing penalty. I get that. But they were still in the motion of the tackle, which I is mean, a one-on-one, which is so a one-on-one they, thing. There were other players. So as they were still moving, he ripped the ball as they were moving, which with, is the same as the same as any other rip. With, without getting too much of this three or four years ago. And basically, as soon as the player with the with the ball in their possession, as soon as the knee touches the ground, the tackler's got to let go of them and got to let go of the ball. Yeah. And if you look, both of Hardy's knees are on the ground at the point at which Itojo rips it. Where, where I was going with that is, is I think Phil's right. I think that is the law. But, but another player might have got away with it because well, it, Wales, it's very... Wales had exactly the same thing about five minutes later and got away with it. And, yes. and, it, it, and it's 
we'll talk about Atoje again, I'm sure. But a lot of his penalties, people say he gives away a lot of penalties, which I guess he does. But a lot of them are like that, where if, if he got that ball out of his hand half a second earlier, it wouldn't have been a penalty. I'm going to say something now, and it could be construed many, many ways. In an England shirt, Maruatoje stands out. The guy is six foot five. He's a big um, black man, right? That stands yeah. out a mile, right? And I know I need to be careful, but if you if you think about if that six foot five man is Charlie Yules doing what Mario Toji does, and it's not because of Mario Toji, unless black. you're Eddie Butler. Well, yeah, <laughs> indeed. But so, Russ, I mean, what you're trying to say is is a Toji is distinctive and if you're Dis- looking distinctive absolutely you're that's a very for, good way of putting it thank you if you before the match have got a pre-determined idea. idea in your mind that number four might give away yes. more penalties that the fact that he's six foot six is is one part and what, what you said it, it, you know is another part um I don't think you're suggesting that the referees have got any. No, 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 um, no, 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 no. I'm not saying the referee. I'm not saying any referee is remotely racist, right? Not in any way, shape, or form. What I'm saying is, Maruatoje has a reputation of pushing the boundaries as far as the offside line goes, and it's easy for referees to see that because of who he is. And also if, if he if he looked like Doug, he would still stand out on the pitch because he's such a good player. Yeah. That, that's- that that would be my point. I I think Maratoji gets pinged more often because he is so good. He gets into positions that other players can't before players can react to it. So he often looks like he's doing something wrong when he's not. He's just quicker than everyone else, yes. and the referees think he can't have got there legally. He must. He, it must be a penalty. The prime example is the one where he got done for. Coming in at the side of the mall. Okay, yeah. He didn't come in at the side of the mall. He just beat everyone to the back of their mall. The, the mall formed around him. Yeah. Phil, because he's so good. Him. That he gets there before yes, him. And, and likewise, when he's jackaling, he's often jackaling before anyone has got to him. So it looks like, you know, so the, he's released. It, it looks like he hasn't released, but he's so quick that he releases, gets to his feet, and he's jackaling before they can pit, before they can do anything about it. Same with the tackle. He ripped that ball out of the tackle and got the penalty given against him because normal human beings can't do that. But what we're learning more and more about Maro Otoje is that he's probably the best rugby player that has ever played the game from a purely physical standpoint. He, so, he can do anything. So I don't disagree with you, Doug, but let's go to that, that penalty that you said at the line the, the call was wrong when the ref said it at the side. But it was a penalty because Itoje has broken the, that middle line and, and halfway around the front of Adam Beard before Adam Beard's feet hit the ground. It's still a line out and you're not allowed to go past that centre line until the, the person with the ball in their hands hits the deck. So it's still a penalty. And it's exactly the same thing that Charlie Yule's got pinged for about 10 minutes from the end. And this is where it gets tricky. Is Actually, I... I Looked, I went through the 14 penalties and there were two of the Tojos. There's no way in the world they are penalties. The classic example, as, as you say, Doug, is that charge down, the charge down from the box kick because nobody else would be able to get anywhere near that. But he's a mile on side at the time at which Hardy picks the ball up. 
he's well behind the back line and he's onside and he gets his hands so, to the charge down. But the ref calls it as him being offside because he thinks there's no way you could have got so, there. So the referee, the referee is the referee is guessed the same as the referee. I mean, the the deliberate knock on, and I've watched that deliberate knock on loads of times. I spent a bit of time this evening looking at a lot of the penalties and. That deliberate knock-on to me, if if he'd gone there and he'd slapped the ball forward straight through Hardy's hands and he's just pushed it straight through, I could see how that was a deliberate knock-on. However, he's come over and through the middle and he's actually slapped it straight down. The fact that the ball's gone forward is an, is an outcome rather than a deliberate knock-on. But again, the fact that wasn't actually um, Gauzier's call was it it was a, it was the tmo that called that because he'd, he'd given he'd a actually knock on allowed advantage. the game to continue in england we're gonna he'd, he'd given a knock-on advantage and they kicked it away hadn't he so um, I, I just think again it's, it's, what I w- it's what hard I for me say, to say that, go on sorry ben what i would say is what martin johnson said and um another very decent second row that i was talking to on uh, facebook said as well was once he's once he's realised the referee is looking out for him and is being fussy with everybody, he should have maybe just stay, taken a step back. But uh, I, I think he gets that in every game that he plays. So if you if you ask Marouatoje to step back, you're not going to get Marouatoje. But even if so he does it, for, even if he does it for ten minutes and just gets the ref off his back, I, I think he needs to start doing it for the first ten minutes. Say to a Toji, okay, be be yourself, play yourself, carry the ball, but don't don't get any 50-50 calls in a own rucks, any offsides, anything like that. Just keep quiet for the first 10 so that the refs aren't on your case, and then you can start doing a bit more. I just, and it's crap I don't that you have to be to, like that. But I don't think life. he needs to play so close to the edge because he is so much better that he could play well within, well inside the edge and still do the things he does. And I would also question that, you know, the risk of giving away a penalty at a line out within the 10 metre lines by coming round too early, is, is the benefit of stopping that more, is the cost benefit of that, is it worth doing it for the fear of giving away a penalty? You might as well just let that go. Let them have them all because they're likely going to box kick it straight to you anyway. Yeah, you're just giving them a free kick it's, into the twenty. To me, it aren't? seems about they, they talk about controlling their controllables, but they don't seem to be very game savvy. In that, Tom Curry's penalty for in at the side, Wales were well inside their own half. It, it just doesn't need to be done. You you, uh, you let that ruck go. Just let it go. I I thought the there were several penalties in the first half that were not penalties. Bill's just said exactly the ones that I, that I would probably list. But I think all, all the penalties in the second half were just dim. Yes. Yeah, yeah, John, yeah. Well, I mean, Johnny, we'll, get, we'll get to that. In Johnny minute. Hills, I mean, the, the, you could um, see that from Mars. The exclusion to that is is the Mako Vinopola one, which I don't think he's offside. I think he comes back behind... So box kick comes up. I can't remember who it was. Either May or Slade knocks it forwards a bit and, and Mako catches it. But if you look at Mako, he comes back on side and then attacks it forward. So it's a it's just a knock on. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, 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 it's hard to watch anyway. Scrums now. 
Yeah. I think that's there can be an offside penalty at every ruck. There, there, there can be the 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 crazy thing about this is a lot of these penalties can be given at any time. You could look, you could pinpoint any ruck and go right. Well, there's a penalty. There's a penalty. Just so happened that we get pinged a lot, or so we the, got the, pinged a lot in that game. It, the classic example of that is the Genge one. Genge goes in supporting a player. The player gets tackled, drops to the deck, and Genge falls on top of him. And, and effectively seals off. That pretty much happens at every ruck. Um, but in terms of the rucks, if we, I just want to compare how the rucks were refereed, not the rest of it, because I think the rest of it was, we can, we can come on to, how the rucks were refereed with how Carl Dixon refereed the Cell Exeter game. Now, fairly early on, that ref was absolutely shit-hot on players not rolling away. So Owen Farrell, in the first couple of minutes... Not rolling away, whistle goes, penalty. Um, similarly, there was a Wales player fairly quick. And as a result, nobody's hanging around that tackle area because they know they have to move lightning fast. We have a situation in the sale Exeter game where Sale were, well, in fact, both of them were incredibly slow at moving away. But Sale were had two or three, two, three, four people flopping on top of the ball in defence and slowing it down and never being penalised for it. And then we end up in a situation where um, I think it's debuters carries the ball forward into two sail players and both sail players in the act of tackling flop directly over the ball. And if you're an extra player, you're going to go, I'm going to get no help here from the referee to try and do this. I've got to try and clear it out. So you end up with a situation where Whitten pulls Langdon back on his neck and then Yendel comes in and hits him. You can you can argue the toss about whether there was a rap there or not. It was it was given as a red card. But to me, the situation that's led to that is the fact that the rucks were an absolute mess all flipping game. Absolute like disgraceful state all game. Whereas in the England Wales game, the rucks were far tidier and far more clinical because you've got a ref, you know fairly quickly you've got a ref who's not going to allow defensive players to hang around in the in that okay. context. So, so with that in mind, then you started off there talking about the Owen Farrell rolling away, and I've watched that one over and over again as well. And Farrell makes the tackle; he rolls the correct way, which is away from the uh, the way that the nine is approaching. So he's not rolling back into the nine. That ball is always available for Hardy to play. The referee gives Farrell approximately zero time, less than a second. Even though, even though he's rolling the right way and not obstructing the ball, he's already he's, like he already already decided that he was going to give that penalty uh, at that uh, as he made that tackle because he saw that Farrell was isolated and potentially could be dropping on the wrong side, which ironically he didn't end up. See, I, I think it's a harsh call, but I think Farrell has half a second there where he can at least make a show of trying to move out of the way. But he did he, because he wasn't in the way, Phil. I, see, because I the ball was always available. If you look at the lateral view of it, that ball isn't available until he's cleared out to the side. He's lying. He's lying with his legs on top of the ball until he's cleared out. To the I side. I don't think they're not his legs. They are defensive legs. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we'll right. agree to disagree on it. But my my point was in general, I think because he was harsh on the rucks from the start and consistent on the rucks you end up with much tidier rucks, which means you, you don't end up with five, six, seven players on the floor, hands all over the place when they shouldn't be. 
And as a result, the, the teams are getting the ball. I mean, how many turnovers were there at Rucks? Precious few. All game from both sides. Less than a handful, I'd say. So, so I actually think he refereed the rucks really well as a whole. He refereed a lot of other stuff crap, but but the rucks he did okay. Okay, well that, that's that's a that's a fair assumption from your point of view. Um, let's talk about that whole situation then. So he's pinged Owen Farrell for uh, being on the wrong side or not rolling away. He's then asked Owen Farrell to go and have a chat to to his team. He said called the time off, allowed them to go and have his team. Now, this was a very similar incident to what I think has been highlighted from a couple of years ago from Gauzier again, where uh, bigger kick to Adams again, I think, wasn't it? It was, it was a similar situation, but sort of the other way around. He's, he's asked Farrell to go and talk to his, um, to his team. He's then basically giving them a specific amount of time, however that amount of time is. And then he's basically, and he's just said time on and away they go. Now, if he's asked to talk to the team and pull the whole team in, then he should allow them specific time to get set before they allow, they allow Wales to um, continue the game. I've seen a lot of conjecture from Welsh Twitter and rugby Twitter in general, that's the wider view that shows Johnny May and it might have been Slade on the the, the right wing as we look at it from behind the Wales uh, view. Uh, whether they were, you know, had finished having their water or whatever. You know. It's fucking irrelevant, Russ. Where, jo- where Johnny May could have wandered off at any given irrelevant. moment. Well, that, but, that, but that's, I'm just being, a, not playing devil's advocate, I'm just saying that that's what people are saying, is that, well, those two weren't weren't involved in the mother's meeting, so why should England be given uh, given the chance to, to reset? I think, I so that your, like, your winger and your, although Johnny May got pinged for the first pen, uh, penalty, but your winger and your outside centre who haven't been involved in the penalties and not listening to the captain when he's t- talking about the penalties in and around the rock. I mean, I'd like to have known that, whether they were in that huddle to start but, with, but probably but not. The point is, the most important thing the way I see it is Nigel Owens, Joel Duke, the head of world referees, and the referee himself have all admitted that they should yeah, have given England time to That's what I was going to say. Galzair himself has said, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, I've made a mistake. Okay. There's, there's, there's nothing really to... to argue with it he he should have let them go back out but having said that it is a little bit dim having seen what happened two years ago that it wasn't in their minds and this this brings me on to my main point about all this is that england spent countless time telling anyone who'd listen in the lead up to this tournament and the lead up to the august uh the autumn internationals that They'd done nothing in this off-season apart from concentrate on defence. And it leads me on to another point that I'll, I'll talk about later, but they've done nothing but work on defence. Well, you've shipped 40 points and you've switched off twice at, at penalties. So why exactly in defence are you concentrating on? Forget all the penalties. Forget all the, all the crap play that you've done. Forget the arrogance. What are you working on? Are these... Penny Hill Park things are they just are they are they like uh, just a big jolly up 
where they go around and say, oh, we'll tell everyone we're talking about defence, but really we're just here on expenses. That's what I don't understand. That kind of shit shouldn't happen if you profess that all you've done for the last four months is concentrate on working on your defence. Given that a year ago we had one of the best defences in the world, we had a, an aggressive, in-your-face, proactive defence, which is now a pile of horseshit. I will say, in response to that, Doug, is that, yes, we've shipped 40 points on the scoreline. I mean, they were given two tries. Hey, Russ, don't tell me about two tries that shouldn't have happened because they did happen, mate. I'm also going to say is around the break the breakaway try. Yes, it was a knock-on and then, you know, but they were on our, our line. You know, we were chasing the game and they've been given nine points in... 10-minute period at the end of the second half where it will disappear and they've just gone penalty, touch, penalty, touch, posts, penalty, touch, posts, penalty, touch, posts. What I'd say is is we know now that those two tries shouldn't have been given, but they were, and it, it you can have a try out of nothing through good play. You know, yeah. George North could have scored a try like he did again for the Lions where no one touched him. And it could have just been brilliant play that a try came out of nowhere. Or Ben Youngs could have whacked a box kick up Billy Vernopola's ass and it went back over the line and someone dotted it down. So the, the problem in that game wasn't the, the dodgy tries. It was we got back to 24-all. Yes. And then, and then flaked it out completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, if, and, if those two Wales tries hadn't have been given... England still didn't deserve to get anything out of that game. No, no, and, and I agree with that based on that last 15 minutes. Having got back yeah. to 24 all, I, I, I genuinely don't believe that they deserve, they did deserve to get anything. They got exactly what they deserved on balance over overall. That doesn't take away from the absolute shit show decisions that, you know, say, didn't go their way in the first half. The annoying thing is, between the second Welsh try and the second English try, they actually play really well. Yeah. There were some, there were some real... So, there were some people... There's a bit of chat going on about how people thought Farrell actually played pretty well. There were some real periods where England in attack looked fantastic. They were quick ball, moving it. Billy Young, um, Ben Young's doing a bit of sniping shifting it to where the gaps were. And we'd gone from, I don't know, probably our 10-metre line to about 15 yards off their try line. And the ball got spun out to Owen Farrell, who had two or three men outside him, who are the right kind of people that you want to give a one-on-one. And he got the ball and he looked and he went, I'm just going to truck this up the middle and got the ball tied in. I can't remember whether it was a turnover for a scrum or just completely lost momentum and a a drop on it. But... Christ, the guy, the guy just looks like he's got absolutely zero confidence on a rugby pitch. I mean, yeah. that, he would have been making those decisions in his sleep 18 months ago. He's played for no one other than England since... I, I know. know. World when. Cup, pretty much. Yeah, because, I mean, when the last few weeks of the Premiership, he didn't play. But, you know, there's several things. We've, we've spoken a lot. Should we move on from penalties? It feels like... Yeah, we've yeah, yeah, about yeah, penalties. yeah, yeah. Oh no! Sorry. Can I just ask? Can I just say one more thing about? It wasn't a penalty, but 
um, there was a point in the second half where England, uh, no, sorry, the Wales nine hardly picked up from the back of a ruck, took two or three paces. England came from an onside position to to rush defence, and Gozier told him to get back. Do you remember that? Yeah. He told him to get back, wait or hold or whatever it was, and they were all onside. But because he told them, they all kind of Got just fro- they all kind of just froze when when they had the chance to to make the rush defence work. And it just it was it was a poor performance from from Gauzier. And you know, on, just a last thing on him. The knock-on try, he's admitted that he got it wrong. There should be no reason why, once a, once a knock-on goes to a TMO, there should be no reason that's ever been that's ever got wrong. With the amount of cameras they had yeah. there, that's unforgivable. Like that is genuinely that should never happen. But the TMO agreed with him. Yeah, which no. makes me think. Which makes me think. Then, right, referees in general. And it would have been easy for him to see in real time he should have blown for a knock-on. So his decision should have been, he's not that on. Not real time, that's a try. I've given a try. Would it check whether it's a knock-on or not? It should be, he's not that on. I can see with my eyes. I'm trusting my eyes, he's not that on. Is there any, can you change my mind that he hasn't knocked it on? But he's not given he's not given that once they've scored the try because I think referees now are adverse to making decisions because of the comfort blanket of the TMO. We've seen it in Premiership. In, in football. that instance, Russ, I'm inclined to go with what he did because within five seconds they were over the try line, and the game's about entertainment. Ultimately, so you want tries, so you let that go because there was a no because there was a try. You let it go, and then you bring it back and you decide. Well, should it have stood? Once they brought it back, it shouldn't have stood. But I, I, I actually don't mind him going with it. Uh, no, no, no. You, you've got me wrong. You got me wrong. No, he, he said. I'm not saying blow up. What I'm saying is when they scored that try. Oh, so he should his, have given like a soft his decision. Signal, his his soft signal should have been. I think he's knocked it on there. So my on-field decision is no try, knock on. Because I saw that with my own fucking eyes. Tell me any... Re- if you can tell me anything different, like they do in a lot of premiership, you know you know when they score tries now, the TMO just checks it upstairs and goes, yeah, try's good. Yeah, well, like, we without, can talk about that another time, maybe. Without without breaking... But, or, or anything else. But his decision, after seeing that, said... On-field decision is a try, which then meant they had to conclusively prove that he knocked it on, which they still did, by the way. They still proved that he knocked it on. But an interpretation of of the law said that he didn't because it hit his leg. But it didn't hit his leg and go backwards. It just hit his leg as he was running forwards. And the reason it looked like it went backwards is because he was running fast forwards. Does that make sense? We all get that. Yeah, but um, fucking Alex, whatever his name is, and Pascal Gauzier didn't, did they? Why? They're the, they're the international referees, Doug. But it's irrelevant what happens after it hits his leg. The point is it's gone forwards from his yeah. hand to it. So, so why then, why in an international rugby match is that being, is that being mistake being made? 
Well, because he why, fucked up. Why are international players knocking the ball on? Yeah. You, are we, are we I've got, I've got no. You know, you, usually, England v Wales. I've worked on a couple of the England Wales games recent in recent years, and usually I'm a bag of nerves before the game, during the game. And then after the game, there's usually a bit of backwards and forwards, you know, between because predominantly in those games, especially in Cardiff, you have quite a predominantly Welsh crew with a few English blokes thrown in. And um, I mean, after this game, I, I, there was, like even during the game, I had no emotion whatsoever. I wasn't nervous. I didn't really care. You know, if we lost, we lost. Is that because of your apathetic view of the England rugby I think, team? I think so, yeah. And that speaks to a larger point that I do think probably everyone's had enough of this England team. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you said a couple, you've, you've said it on a number of occasions now that in your opinion, England are <laughs> fast becoming or have, if not have become the most unlikable team yeah. in world I mean, sport. Owen Farrell doesn't help. And again, another thing I've wanted to say since Saturday, we've got to get rid of this notion that, rugby is a game played by gentlemen and it's all about respect it's like that that went out of the window a long time ago well we're professionalism players now they're rugby players from the age of 10 and then they go professional and they're all rugby they don't have that gentlemanly you know few pints and they do they do the whole beers afterwards and stuff like that but it's not about just the game now this is their livelihoods and so they can be shit houses so you've got to do away with that. If Ellis Skins don't want to cap, clap a team off a pitch, don't worry about it, mate. Fill your boots. It's the irony of that little clip, though. It was he actually had clapped them, but had stopped. And then this clip was a period of time where he wasn't clapping. Yeah. It, it, you know what? I'm I'm all for that. If you, yeah. if you're absolutely to me, that shows a degree of passion. Yeah, you're you pissed you off. You care about it. Absolutely you English, Englishmen can't show passion because then we're being xenophobic or whatever, you know, or disrespectful. Or... But, but I said this at the weekend. Of all of the stuff that happened on Saturday in, in Wales, if that had been on the other foot at Twickenham, for argument's sake, the world would have melted. It would have been... I mean, it's bad enough at the best of times. But watching... You know, the, a lot of the Welsh rugby Twitter, the Irish ones who just jump in because they are arguably, you know, the most annoying set of fans, along with the Indian cricket fans, you know, on the internet. Um, but if that if that shoe had been on the other foot, can you can you imagine the rage against England? Let's uh, let's be honest about this. I've I've got some Welsh friends. I've got some Welsh. Um, clients and they've all been really quiet over the last three or four days. And the real of, people that understand probably but, probably. but it's the classic one percent who use Twitter as a way of being an absolute dick. That, that that's the point. Like I've I've always sort of since my days at uni known a, you know a lot of Welsh people who are rug, rugby people to their like fingertips, and they don't really have the anti English thing. They. They want to beat England more than they want to beat everyone else, but they don't think we walk around with a sort of forked tail and horns, you know, in our, our spare time. But you know, the irony think, of it is, half of their side are English. Well, yeah, but this yeah, this week's that. kind of, uh, you know, this week's kind of shown there's a lot of dicks on Twitter 
and Saturday brought out the Welsh dicks on Twitter. And, you know, there is a certain group of people out there that if, if you... if Now, before someone asks me, this is a made-up scenario, OK? <laughs> if, if Wales beat England 50-0 and then the team went out on a two-day bender and as part of that two-day bender, they set fire to a school bus... A full school bus. When did they do this? <laughs> if you then tweeted... It, it was, it, was their school bus of disabled children? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> From the, con- then, the convent school. If you the then nuns. tweeted, well done to Wales on the great victory. Uh, they played really well. Shame about the school bus massacre. You would get people coming back to you saying, you're just focusing on the negatives. You're, you're a sore loser. <laughs> and it's just, you know... I just think getting, you know, I, I thought the, you know, there was a there was a lot of people searching the rule book to justify why um, that knock on wasn't a knock on, and it, and you know, typical of rugby, you can interpret the rule either way. It just so happens that the other interpretation has been the one that everyone else has gone with for the history of the game. But it was a little bit like Johnny May's try against Ireland. You could argue it either way, um, but you know, once. The referee of the game, his boss, and the best Welsh referee have all said it's not a try. It's just time to give up. Just, just take the win. You know, yeah. You don't need to send a death threat to Ellis Genge. You've won. I mean, we've got the benefit of of recording this with hindsight or or with the knowledge that that um, they've come out and admitted these mistakes now. And you know what? Fair, fair play. You've, you, you're not you're not doubling down on on the issue, and you know the the mistakes been made. That's fine. England didn't lose the game because of those mistakes. It possibly would have been a different game if they weren't made. That that's sport. That's human error, and and I'm all right with human error. I'm all right with it in the main when people can acknowledge when they've made it. Does that make you know? Yeah, yeah. We can all do that. That's how we've that's how we've grown up with sport playing lower level sport we've all had times where referees in in wednesday night matches that mean absolutely fuck all but referees have just had an absolute shocker and made a decision or say a, a, a run of decisions that have just been unbelievable and we've all been a part of that in in all sports football i mean doug got called sent off in a football match for calling me a fat gun we're on the same team we, right? we, we've we all played been a part game of down decisions. at we played in a game down at the menai and someone tried to do a clearance kick and it blew back into his own post. And we all just stood there and I said to the ref, I was like, am I offside or not? <laughs> and he went, I don't know. <laughs> just carry on. <laughs> Amazing. But, but we've all been, we've all been there, haven't we? We've, we've all been there. Yeah. But all, all I'm, all I'm, and, I'm and you, you win some, you lose from, uh, some. Yeah. The the challenge is the problem is there's there's two major calls there that got badly wrong. But as we've all said earlier, midway through the second half it was twenty four points all. It was everything to play for and England were on a, a decent in, in run. the ascendancy. Hey, but not only that. And then we fucked it up. And it's it's the same things that we've been discussing for the past two years. It's a lack of a plan B, it's an inability to adapt on the on the pitch 
it's the fact that we give away too many stupid, stupid penalties, like Johnny Hill's one. And it's like, it's coming from a 45-degree angle. It's not even close to the back foot. And they've got the ball secure. He's, he's going to gain nothing. It's just sheer stupidity. And it's picking players. So we it's been fairly well known for years that Billy Vinopola is only any good after he's had 10 games on the banks. Saturday, 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 Saturday. 10 games on the banks to get himself fit and in the swing of things. And yet we're persevering with him and allowing him to stay at a club where he's playing absolutely zero club rugby and he still gets picked. When we've got players that are, that are absolutely... You could, I could name you three number eights now absolutely tearing up the premiership who would do a better job than Billy at the moment. And let's be fair, Billy was better than he was in the previous game because he's got another game under his belt. But he's a long way off his best and he'll never make it to his best this season. I think the fact that Billy played well and was great gaining ground meant that Ford and uh, Ford and Youngs yes. played a lot better as well. Yeah, um, 100%. And, and but, I mean, Elliot Daly, Christ alive. How many weeks has he got to play shit before he gets dropped? Doug? It begs the question that there's, there's a number of players now. So if Johnny May isn't the fastest player on the pitch, what's he offering? And Louis rees made He's a mug put, of He put that to bed, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. So what's he offering? What's he actually offering? Because he's not powerful. And if he's not the quickest guy on the pitch, he doesn't do anything. So you get somebody I will say, in there like Ollie Thorley, who will offer something. Yeah, or when, yeah but you can, be, you can be the second quickest player on the pitch and still be useful. If the well, quickest player on your quickest. wing is quicker than you. Well, yeah, so you play him on the other <laughs> one. But anyway, Ben Young's I, I will Stuart say, Johnny, Johnny May was the best under the high ball. Say again? Gordon. I was going to say that Johnny May was probably our best player under the high ball. Um, I just don't, I don't know what he's offered in the last few games. He, he's out of Nick as well, I think. I, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, Ben Young's, he's, he's ben Young's done his best Stuart Broad impression and brought himself another 10 caps. That, that's true. The, the interesting thing is that we look so much of a better team when we've got a nine that will run off the base. Yeah. And yet we've got two players in the squad who that is their trademark, who don't get anywhere near the squad, the team. Thacker and, and um, Robson. Little, little Harry Randall. Uh, sorry, Randall, sorry. I get them mixed up because they're the same size. But um, Randall's injured, isn't he? Is he injured he? now? Okay, well, yeah. look, you know, that that's a fact. Um, that we need to look at we need to look at that position. Daly's just, I mean, absolute tire fire isn't it it's just ridiculous well, he, he runs and throws can... throws the ball i don't think he passed the ball once. there was a couple of times no he didn't we made a break um in the first half lovely bit of play farrell and slade combined i think put daily in a gap and all he had to do was straighten and give the ball to johnny may yeah, now whether yeah, johnny yeah. may had got there or not Probably, you know, re-summit probably would have caught him. And I've, I've been more impressed with the way re-summit's physicality has, has improved. He, he went from being a, a boy last season who looked like a boy to in the last six months, he, he looks. And that well. Wales back three could easily be one of the best back threes in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that Elliot Daly scenario, if he'd had straightened and just given the pass it would have given an opportunity. At the very least, they'll have a line out inside there, maybe, the, you know, five metres or whatever. What he did do instead was ran across the pitch 
on a diagonal. And instead of putting his in his hammer down and just go, well, I'm just going to put me head down and run. He decides to then start looking behind him, trying to fend off whoever it was that was trying to tackle him. Yeah, it should have, it should have just gone. Which means straight, you, you're not you're not yeah, you're not running it full. You can't run it full speed while you're running with one arm on the ball and another arm behind you trying to fend someone off. It's just the, not the possible. Problem, the problem with Daly is he's out of position anyway. If he's playing well, he can just about get away with it. He's not playing well and it's got into his head now because at times he was just... The ball was just squirting out of his hands, you know, just as he was carrying it, you know, just near to contact it was coming out. He, He just... You know, we we've been critical of him for weeks, but you know, I'm at. I, I started to feel a bit sorry for him in that game because because he's out of position. He knows it, and he knows he's not playing well. So it's not a very nice place to be in, I would imagine. Um, I thought, what's what? I mean, Watson when he got that ball with four or five men in front of him, superb I, I finish. Just thought that was a. Tr- I just I just knew he was going to score. Um, you know, we've said Ford and Young's played well, and I thought Mako, I thought, had a good game, and so did Sinclair. Um, well, the, the thing is, Mako and Sinclair, uh, they had good games without being noticed. I mean, I, I can't remember hearing, like, hear, really hearing Sinclair's name through commentary. He, just, he was just efficient. He just got stuff done, you know, which you'd I expect think- from a front row forward. I wouldn't, I, I don't want my front row forwards, you know, being talked about on commentary, if that makes sense. I want my front row forwards to do the... And every, every time he carried it, he sucked in a couple of Welsh players, yeah. which is what you want him to do. I, I think another thing that, that caused a problem is is how much more of an impact the Welsh bench made. Um, you know, you know, England's bench, I mean, a lot of them came on very late anyway. They probably left it too long to bring them on. But, that, you know, that's the feature of, of Eddie Jones as well, isn't it? Mm. He doesn't he, he doesn't make cha- he doesn't make changes until almost at a point where the the gate they're not going to have too much of an impact in the game. Yeah, Good job I mean, George like, Martin was on the bench, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Just sat in his tracksuit for eighty minutes. I mean, Sheedy and and Halaholo were on what fifty minutes from, yeah. from about 50, so, fifty-five minutes, and, and both of those, you know, had a real impact. Corey Hill scored. I gotta say, yeah, I gotta say, Callum Sheedy, when he came on and Bigger went off, I I genuinely thought, here we go, I, like we've we've got an opportunity here. No, and, 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 and hands up, seen enough of him to know he's, hands up, he's made he's a different the, stuff. Yeah, he he was superb. He was he was absolutely fantastic when he came on, and you know, hands up, you know, I, I genuinely thought potential weak link. Bigger's gone off. Bit of a talisman for them, um, but Sheedy blew him out of the water. She, I mean, Sheedy is probably as an all-round ten, like offers a bit more threat than bigger because of the way he carries the ball as well. His speed of pass, his fleet of foot, you know, bigger is very, very good, but he's fairly, you know, two-dimensional. Whereas I'd say Sheedy is more of a three-dimensional ten. What it says to me is that Eddie Jones has an issue. Wales have shown that they're not, they're not bothered, or Pivak has shown that he's not bothered about giving people a chance if they're playing well. And often, if you give people a chance when they're playing well, they reward you. So he's picked players on form. I mean, I'd never heard of that replacement hooker 
the scrum half. I didn't even, didn't know he existed. And I'm thinking, well, why aren't you picking Reese Webb? He's you know where, where's he? Where's where's all these? You know, there is no way on God's green. I mean, look at Sam Simmons. Sam Simmons is well. She's playing for Wales. It's without question. But we stick with this squad. We stick with this out uh, of this loyalty that Jones has to the team and it's holding us back because we're not give, we're giving random second rows caps like he's happy to do that because at the end of the day he knows that when everyone's fit it's OJ Laws or it's OJ Launchbury Launchbury he knows they so miss, he, he can hand out Launchbury. caps like confetti's to second row it doesn't matter they, I mean we, we said it all. in the last cycle to the last World Cup these middle years of a World Cup cycle are where you try your onions. You, you see what you've got in the garden. We know that the squad that Jones is picking is not good enough to win a World Cup. because, And it's, it was the same with the England football team. We picked the same football team, three World Cups in a row, and were surprised every time we didn't win. We're picking the same squad this year that we did in the World Cup, and they weren't good enough then, they're not good enough now. It makes you wonder how you evolve, if that's the case, doesn't it? Well, they're because, not going to. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's, that's where I was going. You know, it, it's all very well dropping in penny numbers of players here and there. But, like, this, this Six Nations, the Autumn Nations Cup, which nobody should really give a fuck about. I know, Ben, you're going to disagree with this massively. And you want England to win. You know, you think England should win every test match that, that they go into. Now... I think if you're if you're going to pick players to give them a chance, that that almost gives you a bit of an edge to say, well, we're going to be experimental, but we're going to give these players a chance to see what they can do. You might it might not come off. And if you looked at Wales in the autumn, I mean, I'm not saying by any means Wales Wales are a great side now, but you know, go, go, they are making progress. And you look at you know Jonathan Davis is is getting on a bit, and George North. Playing 13, I thought he was excellent. England identified a couple of defensive um, issues of him getting squared up a little bit, but I think you know he he could reinvent himself as a 13. Maybe he's lost a yard of gas, and he can be that that 13 with Adams and and Reece outside him. It's like you mentioned the, the nine. You mentioned there's the, the likes of um, uh, Halaholo, the likes of Sheedy. You know, he's given opportunities to people like Johnny Williams, Owen Watkin, um, Nick Tompkins. Like they've had a they've had a bit of a, a bit of a go. Yes, there's a few injuries there now, which has forced them maybe to go back to Jonathan Davis. But it's the you know, Wales got pelters in the autumn and they were getting pelters, and I gave them pelters because I don't think they're a great side, but they're on for a grand slam. They just want a triple crown. Right? That that's that's progress. It could be a false dawn, but you don't know. What I see from England is the same players, the same squad, the same tactics, the same formations and the same frailties week in, week out. Russ, screw the Autumn Nations Cup. We are, as far as I'm concerned, we are looking likely to finish the Six Nations with only one win. If that's the case, we've got two games now where they can start experimenting. 100%. Bring them in now. Yeah, but they won't. Tournament's gone. It's lost. We won't. We won't beat France. Absolutely no chance at all. So now's the chance where you go like France did in, in the, the autumn. autumn. They stuck out a third string against us and let a few players play. We should do exactly the same thing. Full, complete, different fifteen. Pick a 
not a single player between them. Effectively, a Saxon side, and let's see what they can do. Jo- the Jones will not do that. No, no, of course he won't. He's a single player. I, I don't think they self propelled. You don't. You want to win every game, so you play the same team. That team loses, so you want to play the same team, so they get better. But they lose again, so you can't drop them because you want to show faith. They lose again. Well, we're going to play ourselves back into form. You might beat Ireland. Oh, look, we're playing better now, so we'll keep the same team. And it goes and on and on it goes. That's how it works. I mean, I think, to be honest, the last two games, I wouldn't go as far as to change the whole team, but I think even natural wastage would probably mean you, you could probably select quite a different 15. Like, you could, you could easily get rid of Daly, Farrell, May. George. George. Um, and maybe Vunapola from the starting 15 and probably any of the bench. I'd say to Billy, if you're serious about playing in the next World Cup, you've got to get, find yourself a premiership side and you've got to play the rest of the season, week in, week out. I think there's no guarantee they'll go up, you know. No, no, no I know. But even, even if they do go up, him playing half a dozen games in the championship is not good preparation for playing international. Can rugby. you imagine them not, them not going up and then PRL bolt in the door they're not going to do that obviously but Ealing come up as champions and they say no, no disrespect like, I, I, I enjoyed watching Saracens in the Premiership and I think they, they bettered the product of the Premiership but I think because of the way it's all been handled about trying to make find a way that they can get back up to be in the Premiership without any relegation I think it would be exactly the, the best thing for rugby if Ealing do go up Agreed. Can we talk about the interview situation? Because we've been going for an hour yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. Wrapping it up, I'm, I'm going to keep quiet because I don't really give a shit about it. I, I, I didn't know if you would want you were wanted to talk about it, Doug. So I, I, I'll let you bring it up. Yeah. So here's four questions Sonia McLaughlin could have asked. So she walks up. Eddie's. Eddie's uh, sorry. Owen's there, right? Okay. Um, defense has been a big point this this uh, tournament, Owen. Um, you've lost, and you've lost with forty points on the board. What went wrong? He answers, obviously. He says, "Oh, yada yada yada." Okay. You're disappointed, obviously. What do you take from this match going forward? Referee's a big point, but how can England change the picture of in the referee's mind? Okay, and lastly, a big performance from Wales. Did they pull any surprises, or did that just did they just execute better? All of those are questions that Owen Farrell can give a tangible answer to, and I've just jotted those down in the last two minutes. She was, you know, she was there. I mean, I've had the benefit benefit of hindsight. The thing with that interview is, in my opinion, is looking for a soundbite to nail Owen Farrell to the wall. So I, I haven't well, listened, Jones listened or watched the interview. What what were the questions? Okay, it was basically um, all about the refereeing decisions. Okay. Somebody did a count. Apparently, she asked the same question to four people ten times. I, now, I, did she get an I answer? They, no, they of course just, not. They just dead batted it. But I mean, then I, I've had, I've seen Chris. Sorry, Ben. Just uh, I've seen B, B, BBC people. And I use the term in general, Chris Jones, I will, I will name one because I've seen a, a tweet specifically of his. 
asking about, oh, where's this rubbish come from that they're not going to answer questions and criticise referees? And that just seems like stupid doubling down on support of a colleague that... That's ex- that is exactly what it is. And let, so, and you know, I've brief encounters with Sonia. I, I obviously filmed that Ellis Genge interview when he said about oh, the sausages. sausage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, she seems a, a lovely person, but in this instance, I think she was wrong. And the problem with the situation is, we ask for accountability from players and coaches, and if I mess up, I have to be accountable. Who's she accountable to? Because in my view, it is a, a mess up misguided almost certainly not vindictive i don't think there's any vindictiveness it's her job to get a soundbite so she tried to get a soundbite i think she went about it in the wrong way and i think there could have maybe been a a slightly deeper line of questioning other than was the ref wrong but for everyone just to come out and blanket say what is right she's one of the best at the job she absolutely didn't do the best job she could have done in that instance and so she, every people have a right to question it I, I because can't. she's a woman or whatever that that shouldn't come into it do you yeah, that's irrelevant. Well? irrelevant so was it just question it feels to me like people are defending her because she's a woman I, it, I thought was it was there, a pretty was it just questioning that she got or were, or were there comments that singled it out because she's a woman or went further well, like, I can't see her mentioned, so I don't know. But no, apparently no. she got... Okay, the whole no, of, the whole of to the like, like Ellis Genge getting death threats and things like yeah. that. I mean, it's getting out of hand, really. Let's all, let's all be honest about it. And I think we've reined ourselves in somewhat, apart from on our little group on Twitter. Yeah. But let's, um, let's be honest. The way to deal with it isn't to broadcast on your Twitter feed that you're crying in your car. Because can you imagine... Can you imagine... Tim Cocker doing that for BT, getting a few upset tweets and then tweeting, I'm sat in my car crying. Or or um, Martin Bayfield. Yeah, it's 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 going, it's don't let me how do I say this? Don't play, don't say, well, I want to be treated as a, as an equal and I'm doing the job I must do, and I can do it as good as everybody else. Well, and then it, and then, get, and get then into expect this because and, but sorry, Ben. But then expect everyone to feel sorry for you when you've taken a few pelters. It's almost like you're saying, "Well, you want everyone to stick up for you because you know because you're vulnerable and you you know you shouldn't have to take this abuse." Which is right. You shouldn't have to take the abuse. But equally, don't don't put yourself in a position where you could potentially be at the brunt of that. If if the only people that are defending you are fellow professionals and everyone that's saying you did a bad job is your audience, the chances are you've done a bad job because you're, the people that are saying you did a good job are your mates and they're trying to make you feel better. The people that are telling you you've done and, a bad and, job and on, are your and audience. On Twitter, and on Twitter, the people that are, that are defending you usually uh, want to try and sleep with you. So... <laughs> yeah i think you're you're probably right um but well no but you know what i mean you know like when somebody defends somebody yeah yeah. she's not gonna sleep Uh, what what i'm just trying to find out is actually how what kind of comments were made and what vindictive things were said somebody cocks it up and the job that they're doing is very much in the public eye like i felt if i cocked up something with a client 
I, I would hope that client wouldn't go straight on Twitter and say that I'd cocked up and, t- and tell everybody. But I guarantee but, if he did, your mates on Twitter would say, don't listen to him, Phil. Yeah, but, but then my mates on Twitter wouldn't know about it. Um, <laughs> wouldn't know what had happened. But if, so if you cock up, you should, there, is a, there should be a right to criticism, particularly when what you're doing is very much in the public eye. The public could have a right to go, you know what, she's done a crap job of an interview there. She's rehashed it and asked the same question multiple times, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, fair enough, 100% agree. If those people then turn around and go, this is why women shouldn't be involved in men's sport, that's not on. If those people then go around and, and start calling her, her uh, disrespectful names, again, that's not on. But it's no different whether she's female or male or black or white or whatever. The, any, any criticism that's professional is fair game as far as I'm concerned. It's when it starts turning into personal stuff that, yeah. that isn't right, whatever the situation. But it, it, it's Twitter, so you know, you know it was all of that. Um, I mean, I, I don't think the fact that she's a woman is relevant at all. I thought it was, they were bad. It was a bad interview. Was, the worst one was Alan Wynne-Jones. Because she, she asked him if he should have tried to give the points back for one of the tries. Oh, yeah. Asked the, uh, did you think you should tell the ref not to give the try? Yeah. Uh, you know, that was daft. But I was talking about this with my brother. And, and the, the ideal outcome for, 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 for Sonia in, in that interview was for Owen Farrell to go, yeah, the ref's a dickhead. I should have chinned him. That's what, exactly. That's, that, what that's they all wanted. that was wanted out of that. Yeah. But, and I, I, I think I put in the group, I was like, that, that, that interview was shocking. It was appalling. But that was between us. And I didn't yeah. directly contact her. It's a bit like, Phil, if you've, if, you've done a, if you've done a bad job on a farm and the farmer tells his mates, there's not much you can do about it. But if he, if he comes round and knocks on your door and tells you to your face and then his mates keep coming round and knocking on your door and telling you to your face that you've done a bad job, then you're probably going to start to get wound up quite quickly. And all right, she went with crying in the car. If it was Martin Johnson, he might have like erupted and broken someone's neck or something. But so, you know, so with with these two um, provisos, one being that I haven't seen it, and another one being that I don't give a shit about the interviews. I watch rugby to watch the rugby. Actually, is the job of an interviewer sometimes not to to try and dig people to the point where they are slightly uncomfortable? And give them His- no, would, she have, would she have had someone in her ear going, ask him again, ask him again? She'd have had a producer well, in her ear, and she, but she would have, the, the questions are her own. I mean, the, the, the producer can ask her to ask something specific if he wants to, or she, it's the BBC. Um, <laughs> be a lady. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, maybe, I'm, I'm not privy to her talkback. Produce, producer and, and reporter have their own independent talkback loop, so I couldn't hear anything that she was saying to him it's um but as a and, yeah, as but, 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 sorry phil uh no, no. russ phil to your point no you don't give a shit about rugby but there are people that only tune in for the six nations and they look that maybe that is part of it maybe the salacious sort of reporting yeah. is what those but, people want so maybe there is an element of that so I've, I really enjoyed listening to Emma Barnett on Five Live when she had a, her show, but I enjoyed listening to it because she wouldn't let politicians dodge a question. 
So they gave a fudge of an answer. She would pull them up and say, that's a fudge of an answer. Can you give me a proper answer? And she would... And she if would... Owen Farrell says, yeah, I want to chin the ref, he's getting fined. But that's, yeah. the, difference. that's the difference, Phil. Instead of, instead of saying, I think, you know, can you give me a better answer? She didn't. She just asked the same question again and again and again, as opposed to finding and... a different way to ask it. Now, my point is, post-match interviews, in general, in sport, are the biggest waste of time, I think, now the, than they've mate, ever they're been. They're only there for the sponsor board. That's what they're yeah, there for. Yeah, if there wasn't a sponsor board behind it, they wouldn't be doing them. Because, <laughs> yeah, because, because it, what, what insight do you get from it? Because it's the same cliched bullshit. You could literally copy... But, what, but why is that, mate? Heads because and different kits on people. They, because they can't say anything. They can't give an honest answer. They can't give an honest answer because they'll get chastised by the union or by the, by the exactly. football league or by it's the... It's another the, one of whatever. those loops. It's another yeah. loop. The players get asked crap questions, so they're trained not to answer them. So the reporters press them more, so they refuse to answer them more. And so by asking that question, she's actually made every interviewer that interviews Owen Farrell's job harder because he's going to shut down more. Because next time he has an interview, he thinks, well, this dick's just after me saying I just want to punch the ref. So he's going to shut down. She made everyone's job harder. And, and there, there was one two or three years ago. It was on an ITV game. And Martin, uh, not Martin Johnson, Martin Bayfield asked a question. And I think it was Omani. And I genuinely thought Omani was going to deck him. It well, was, he's about to go. Yeah, he might not have reached him, but... <laughs> So it's it's like what you're saying. They're all asking terrible questions yeah. and it's making it worse I, and worse. I remember doing an England match when jo Martin Johnson was head coach and Grant Simmons, when Sky were doing the rugby, asked the questions. And I was genuinely scared that I was going to have to pull Graham Simmons' life spot the tunnel of Twicker. It, it was terrifying. Martin Johnson looked at him with eyes that could have melted steel. It was unreal. And that's why they don't answer questions. They've, that would have been because that in been general, like the when, when you see on a wildlife well. program, like just the little vulture taking yeah. part of a carcass <laughs> away at the end. <laughs> after the after the after the cheetah has dropped the carcass out of a tree. Yeah. <laughs> Leopard, right? Leopard um, let, let's 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 move let's move on from that because we are at about an hour and ten minutes. Um, Let's quickly run around the Premiership. Doug, you were at, at sale on do Friday we, night. Before we do this, do we want to do this? Should we do an egg chasers and release a midweeker or, or should we, you know, we struggle to sack do it one, off? One a week, never mind two. Yeah, I mean, I, nobody I really think... wants to hear us talk about the Premiership now. There's no, no. Six Nations next weekend and we can talk Premiership next week if you want. There you go. Unless anyone really wants to. All right, to, well, I, no, no, I've done the not, bit I wanted to do. Which not is just really. Shit referee. Cool. I, I, will, I will say one thing is I am. Um, we've, we've done a lot of referee panning and official panning this evening. I've done quite a bit. Um, I um, I just want to talk a little bit briefly about uh, TMO and touch judge interjections. Doug, I don't know whether. Whether you hear, you get to hear this on. Yeah, I, um, I almost mentioned it earlier. Um, so, and what I wanted to say is, in some games, you can't move for a fucking touch judge going red, 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 knock on, 
line out, scrum, blah, 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 blah. And all you can hear is the touch judge. And the referee doesn't referee the game himself. It's usually when got... someone like Matt Carley's the touch judge or one of the main list referees, when they've got like three referees, three referees on the pitch. Yes. So, so Friday night, Carl Dixon, I don't know who is, I think his touch judge, one of them was Maxwell Keys, wasn't it, on Friday, possibly? I think, I think he may have been the TMO. Uh, yeah, po- po- yeah, possibly, possibly. But like, so Carl Dixon on Friday... I didn't hear very much interjection from the touch judges. The TMO got involved a little bit, but but I didn't hear it because you obviously hear it through the cameras and, and through the audio. Didn't hear a lot. Now, Carl Dixon focused so heavily on the contact area, rightly or wrongly, that, you know, that's his prerogative, that the offside line for both teams was fucking horrific. Now, if he's going to focus heavily on one area, the contact area, then he needs his touch judges to help him out with regards to offsides, right? In in then in the next game in Bristol, um, Bristol Leicester, there was loads of TMO offside mi- midfield offside. I've got a number, but it's offside midfield all the time. And and I want to know, and uh, you guys will probably won't be able to answer this, but you know where's the fucking consistency? In all it, of this, because it, it would seem to me like there is no framework. So quite often, when you work on a match with BT, quite often the director will say, "Give that to the TMO." Like he'll see something and say, "TMO, give that to the TMO." There isn't a framework that says, in order for the TMO to interject, he's got to spot it, he's got to suggest it. And then the referee's got to decide whether he wants to look at it. There's no, you know, like there's a a framework for head injuries. Yeah. There's no framework for how the ARs and the TMO get involved in the game. It's the lottery. So the amount of stuff that's actually refereed varies on a game-to-game level. But it's rugby. It doesn't surprise me that that's the case. You know, in my view, TMOs need serious training on how to do that job because they're in a TV truck quite often like Maxwell keys. I think it was the first time he TMO'd and he's sitting in front of a wall of televisions. You know, he's got all the sound of the, the TV truck going on around him and he's being asked to look at four little monitors down in the corner to make a decision, then refer it back. And trust me, if each one of the screens on this Skype call had stuff going on and you had people talk and we were all talking at once you if you're untrained you you don't know what you're looking at yeah because he's a rugby referee not a not a tv director director. he's essentially doing the job of a tv director but looking at minutiae within those pictures yeah the ars don't seem to have a defined role like you say it depends who the ars are they just let them get on on that I, i would like to think the, the referee gets his two assistants in in his change room before the match and says, I, I want you guys to be keeping an eye on A, B or C because I'm going to be focusing on D or F. But, but, but that shouldn't be something that the referee d- dictates. That should be something that Premiership Rugby or the IRB dictates that says, and in my view, there should be, like in football, offside is judged by the ARs because the referee is yeah, not but... in a position to judge it. But fo- football is a is a much more um, fluid 
game that where there's there's a there's, there's two focus points in football. There's the, well, yeah, there's three. There's the touch lines, there's the the offside lines, and there's the ball. And pretty much everything else, you know, is going to be fine. Whereas in rugby, there's there's six or seven different points you have to be well, looking at every one time. I would but, argue, uh, Phil. I would argue if that's the case, then that the touch judge is in the best position out of anyone to look at the defensive offside line. Yeah, and and that should be a primary focus of the touch judge. So 100% agree, but but my point is, because there's six or seven potential different things to look at, within the games, these referees are having to adapt where they're, where they're focusing. But what, so, what is the touch judge actually doing, other than flagging when a ball goes out of play or someone's foot goes in touch? Because so, in some games, that's all I see them do. Yeah. In other games, and, and I'll, in other I'll see games, them act, they are calling like scrum penalties call, and they're picking it, up it, knock-ons. Mate, I see them calling fucking scrum penalties from 50 yards away. Yeah, but then that's their role. Their role is well, to watch mate, the opposite side of the scrum to the scrum to the to, to where the referee is. Now, that's exactly that, their role. That, that shouldn't be, should it? Because if there's a on the other side of the pitch, the referee should be on the, the far side of the pitch with the most line, and then the touch judge that's right there on that side should be going that's, and the other touch judge should be watching the offside line absolutely but the referee, it's fucking the referee easy. judges which side he deems is, is most no, likely no 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 wrong. so so if he's if, if you've got a fit another official 10 meters away you can stand on the other and you can say yeah you can watch that for me because you're 10 meters away you can see it you don't ask the guy 50 meters away on the other side of the pitch well i'm going to watch this side of the scrum and then you've got fucking craig maxwell keys on the other line going Blue, 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 blue pulled it down from fucking 50 metres away. It's my, bullshit. My, my thought on it is we've, we've, mm. we've had a lot of directives and missions to make rugby more free-flowing and more space. Referee the fucking offside line. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll, stop, that, that, that'll free up more space. Just yeah. get, If you need to, get two referees on the pitch and just say to the ARs, all you've got to do is worry about offside. But it seems, it seems easy to me. If a referee can consciously focus on the tackle area or the breakdown because that is, that's where the action is. He can't see behind him. So if he's focused on the tackle area, he can't see behind him. If you've got one touch judge closest to where the action is looking at the offen- offen- uh, the offensive line, then you've got the, the touch judge on the other side looking at the defensive line and you work that way, then the referee can actually focus on giving penalties when people are over the ball with their hands on it, then they shouldn't be, which then will probably stop the amount of unnecessary collisions because because people because the breakdown's being refereed properly. But you see referees trying to referee the breakdown, the offside line, all of these things at once. They can't do it. it it's impo- It's impossible to physically to turn your head in all directions. So regarding the regarding the TMO. I don't know what training they get, but they, in my view, they need formal training on how to operate the equipment in the truck or wherever they're sat. You so should, you should, they, that. because the director often has to say to the VT op, roll that back, roll that back, you know, jog it, jog it, rock and roll it, do what you need to do. Um, if the TMO spots something, he should be dictating what he wants. Which is why, which is why then. Why haven't they got qualified officials that their actual job, they're not Saturday match day referees, their actual job is TMO. That is their job. 
Retired refs. Refs who it's, aren't fit enough. It's actually it. not that difficult to do. And there's a way you could do it, which would be quite easy. You'd need however many TMOs for the game. I don't know if you know, but the BT games now, they don't have a director on site. They're all done by fiber optic link to a, a TV gallery in High Wycombe. Or BT. So the director sits in High Wycombe, where my old company was. They've, they've converted one of the few of the rooms into like TV studios, like galleries. If they can do that from there, then there should be a hub for TMOs there. I was thinking this with the whole... Um, well, it's Stockley, it's Stockley Park, isn't it? Well, I was thinking that's that what that they do with VAR. They're sat, they're not sat in a truck outside. They're sat, sat at Stockley Park. I was going to say, isn't that the Enigma code? I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, it's still bullshit, but it's you know, it's what they do. And if they, if you can see pictures on the television screen, like we're watching them, because we're watching the, we're watching them at home, the same as the referees are watching them. We're watching the same pictures, so arguably the TMO could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. I was thinking this with the England uh, India cricket match with the where the umpire the the DRS system has made so many cock-ups and they're saying but they need to be home umpires because of COVID well they don't surely that umpire doing the DRS could be be anywhere in the world yeah 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 I mean let's just let's just get rid of referees just make it all remote let's do it all via spider cam and look there's a lot of arguments for saying that there's a lot of arguments to say that we just want you know, with all the technology and the referees, we just want to arrive at the right decision. We spent an hour and 20 minutes talking about refereeing decisions. And I don't want that to go from the game because otherwise we'll end up like football where all they talk about is how bad VAR is. Yeah. I think the balance is nearly there. The offside line has been a bugbear of mine for years. I wish they could sort that out because it had fucked Saracens. Yeah, and it would create, you rightly said, the offside line refereed properly would create space for attacking teams, which is yep. what they want. So there you go. Let's move on to any other business. As, uh, Phil, have you got any any other business this week? No. Cool. All right, then. <laughs> lovely, lovely stuff. Ben, anything from you? No, nah, we've been here all night, haven't we? Yeah, fair enough. Doug? Um I really like Shit's Creek on on uh, Netflix. If you haven't watched it, yeah, it's brilliant, and it I've gets better as well. I, I I put it off for year. Well, it's been on there for years, but I just, just the name alone, I was like, nah, I'm out on that. And then uh, I finally watched it, and it's at the moment, it's what we all need. It's just a show completely without cynicism or negativity. It's just really, really fun. Good. Um, I'm really enjoying all you know all these different variants of COVID that seem to be appearing. Um, Brazilian variant seems to have appeared from somewhere. We're going to have the uh, the Kazakhstan very well, variant. It's got a very well maintained undercarriage. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely and short. Um, there's going to be the, you know I'm just waiting to see which which variants next. There's the Danish variant, which is uh, kind of flaky. Oh, come on, that deserved that deserved more Danish pastry. Come on, shouldn't have had to explain that. Anyway, I'm, I, <laughs> you know, I'm fucking sick of variants. We've got a vaccine. I wonder who got the power pack. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's let's get back to normal. And um, Russell's funny stories. <laughs> Russell's funny stories. <laughs> huh. 
and um, uh, yeah, news. <laughs> and uh, the other thing is, I watched. I don't know if you learned see, it. <laughs> uh, Devils on Sky Atlantic. Have you watched right. that? It was good. Enjoy yeah. it. If you little, little it's good as Gangs of London, yeah. I'll give it a swerve. Did you not like Gangs of London? Gangs what of London. What load of shit? Devils is good, mate. I enjoyed it. What's Devils about? Uh, bank. It's about the the financial crisis, bank banking and bankers and murder and the likes. Bloodlands on BBC One. That's that's had a strong start. Oh, and Line of Duty is back, twenty first yeah. of March. Yeah. I've been rewatching the uh, the Sunday Night Lindsay Denton series. Excellent. Now, now we're now we're cooking with diesel or whatever it is he says. Yeah. Sucking diesel. Sucking diesel. That's it. Now we're cooking with diesel. <laughs> I mean, I, I tried. Oh, ironically, <laughs> I mean, I've tried. A that. Lovely flame grilled burger. <laughs> Incinerated over diesel. Mmm, yummy. Right, that'll do then. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope we've not bored you too much. Sorry uh, if I offended anybody, if you've got this far. Um, but who cares? All the best. Go well. Go well. Podcast Network.